0: Let's open the Bible to Matthew chapter 2, or rather Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. I'm going to read two short events recorded in this gospel, beginning at verse 23 of Mark chapter two, and reading to chapter three, verse 6. Let us hear God's word, starting at Mark 2, verse 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful, And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was an hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man. And not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he said unto the man which, he, or which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other and the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. We end, or we end our reading at this point. Turn in the back of the Psalter now to page 22. We are up to Lord's Day 38 as we go through our Heidelberg Catechism's Explanation of the Ten Commandments, and we're up to the Fourth Commandment. What doth God require in the Fourth Commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel in the schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God, to hear his word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord and contribute to the relief of the poor, as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by his Holy Spirit in me, and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Beloved in the Lord, this time through Lord's Day, in the fourth commandment, we're going to take a historical approach. We're going to study the Bible's teaching about the Sabbath day by tracing it. And tracing its development from creation all the way to new creation. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And as we take that historical approach, we're going to notice especially how God, according to His goodwill and plan has developed and enriched the Sabbath day throughout the unfolding of his covenant history from creation to new creation. Since there is a tremendous amount of content in this subject, we're going to take two sermons to cover the history of the Sabbath. In this sermon this morning, we're going to look at the development of the Sabbath in the Old Testament, and next time we'll focus especially on the Sabbath in the New Testament ending with the eternal Sabbath of everlasting life in the new creation. So as we take this historical journey along the way, we're going to consider what the fourth commandment requires. We're going to look at this from a historical perspective, but we are considering a commandment of God's law. And so there is going to be instruction here for how we are to live our life, particularly as it relates to the Sabbath day that God has instituted. And so as we go along the way, we're going to draw out applications for how we are to keep the Sabbath day. And the, the central concept that's going to kind of control our historical study of the Sabbath is the very important principle that Jesus lays out in Math, or Mark 2 verse 27. Where he says, The Sabbath was made for man. And not man for the Sabbath. Something that is a recurring problem throughout history. Is that God's people err in starting to think that the Sabbath is this thing. This thing that consists of a pile of rules and regulations. And that keeping the Sabbath is simply Meticulously adhering to that pile of rules and regulations. And while it is certainly true that there are important rules and regulations that God gives for how we are to observe the Sabbath. This is after all a commandment of God. We must avoid this tendency to turn the Sabbath into a day that is all about rule following. Because when that happens... The Sabbath is actually robbed of its purpose, which is to give us rest. Which is to be a day of refreshment and enjoyment. And that's the point Jesus is making here. God made the Sabbath not to be a crushing burden. But God made the Sabbath for man. That is to be something that is good for us. And we want to keep that in mind. That as we look at the fourth commandment. And our calling to obey the fourth commandment. To keep the Sabbath day. Not to work on the Sabbath. But to rest and to worship. The overarching principle is that this is a gift of God. Because it's good for us. And it ought to be refreshing and pleasant and joyful for us. Not a chore. The Sabbath is made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. So let's begin our historical study of the Sabbath. Our theme is God's Sabbath made for man. And this is part one. Our first point is instituted at creation. We're going to look at the origin of the Sabbath. Secondly, we'll see that the Sabbath was formalized at Sinai. And this really defines much of the Old Testament Sabbath. The structure God gave to the Sabbath in the Old Testament. And then thirdly, we're going to look at how the Sabbath was restored after it had been corrupted. But also enriched by the life and ministry of Christ. And that will serve as the transition point to the next sermon. Where we will look at the Sabbath As it centers on Jesus' resurrection, and as it is practiced throughout the New Testament, culminating in the eternal Sabbath of heaven. God's Sabbath made for man. The Sabbath is not a human invention, but the Sabbath is something designed by God. We begin with the institution of the Sabbath at creation. This brings us to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. Six days God worked the most marvelous work of creation. He created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And then Genesis 2 verse 2 says, On the seventh day seventh day of the creation week, the first week that there was, God ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And verse 3 goes on to say that because God rested that seventh day, God blessed the Sabbath and he sanctified it. And sanctified means he set it apart as a special day to be observed in a special way for him. He set it apart as a day of rest. God rested. Now, children, when we think about God resting, what does that mean? God rested just like we rest. But God's rest is different than our rest. Because God never gets tired. When God rested on the seventh day, it wasn't because he was tired. Creation wore him out. His energy was used up and so he needed to rest. He needed to sleep. He needed to go to bed to get his strength and energy back. That's not the idea. God never runs out of strength and energy. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 verse 28. The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. Meaning he never gets tired. So God didn't rest because he was tired. God didn't rest because he needed to sleep. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God never closes his eyes. He never has to because he doesn't need to recover his strength. He is always awake and watchful. That God rested also doesn't mean that he just did nothing. God is never idle. Jesus says in John 5 verse 17, My Father worketh hitherto and i work and what that language means is my father never stops working he's always active so what is god's rest well god's rest can best be described when we flip back to genesis 1 near the end of that chapter and read verse 31 Genesis 1 verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. That helps us understand the nature of God's rest. God rested when he finished creation, and what did that rest consist of? It consisted of God looking upon the works of his hands and smiling, as it were. God looking at the works of his hands and delighting in what he had done. God looking at the work of his hands and seeing the goodness of his creation, rejoicing in his creation, and now drawing near to what he had made in order to commune with it and take pleasure in his finished work. That's God's rest. It's not sitting idly and doing nothing. It's not sleeping. It's not recovering strength. But it's rejoicing and taking pleasure in his work. That's what God's rest consists of. You think of an artist who has just finished A masterpiece painting and he sits back and he looks at his work. And he smiles and he delights in it. Or a builder who has finished the construction of a beautiful house. And now he goes into it. Perhaps it's a house for him and his family. And now they go and live in that house. And they delight in the finished work. And there's rest from his work. That's the idea of God's rest. And so because God rested... In a special way, he set aside the seventh day as a day of rest. And so, the opening chapters of the Bible teach us that the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. It's something God instituted right at the beginning. And it's something that God intends to continue throughout the rest of time and history in this world. Just as at the end of Genesis 2, God institutes another creation ordinance. The, the ordinance of marriage. Which is an ordinance that he intends to continue throughout the entirety of the history of this world. An ordinance which he defines, not man. The same is true of the Sabbath. It's an ordinance for all of time and history in this world. And what God did on that day that he set apart defines what that day is all about. God rested and so we are to rest as well. And the nature of God's rest informs how we are to understand the nature of our rest on the Sabbath day. The heart of it is taking pleasure in God's work. Rejoicing in God. Drawing near to Him. Communing with Him. Feeding upon His goodness. Being refreshed in Him. That's what the Sabbath day is all about. And so we see that since the very beginning, Jesus' words in Mark 2 verse 27 ring true. The Sabbath was made for man. It's a striking thing to think about. That the first full day of life that Adam and Eve had was the Sabbath day. God created the the last of his creatures on the sixth day, the land animals. And then sometime after that, God created Adam. And then had Adam name the animals. And then after that, God created Eve. And so we can well imagine that humanity was created in the afternoon or the late afternoon of of the sixth day. And now what was the very first full day of life that Adam and Eve experienced? It was the Sabbath day, a day of rest with God. Refreshment, relaxation, enjoyment of God and his finished work, resting and taking pleasure in that work. That was a gift. God's gift to Adam and to Eve. A gift designed for their well-being. And now the Sabbath, as a creation ordinance, is God's abiding gift to his people. We have the privilege of resting in a special way as God rested. And it's for our good. God knows our frame. We looked at that text not long ago. He remembers that we are dust. And he has given us the Sabbath day In merciful consideration of our frame. He has established for us the regular rhythm of work and rest. Which is good for our souls and our bodies. And that divine arrangement, that divine rhythm of work and rest is designed by the all wise God. And there's the folly of man who always is trying to shrink the sabbath. Why would you do that? Are we wiser than God? Do we think we don't need it? Especially in our efficiency, work-obsessed American culture. How much more is the Sabbath something we need? Let's not shrink it, but hold it in its integrity. From a certain point of view, it's the best God-given health care plan you can have. Sabbath rest started at creation. And so yes, the Sabbath is a have to. It's a have to. Because this is a command. God says, I rested the seventh day. I set aside one day out of seven for rest. And I call you, my people, to set aside that day as well. It's a command. But this is a have to that is not burdensome. It's a blessed have to. When you're starving and the hot meal comes out of the oven and you have to sit down and eat that meal, is anyone saying, wow, this is a chore. Why do I have to do this? Of course not. We dive in and delight in that hot meal that fills us up. When you're exhausted after a day of work and bedtime rolls around, who among us goes, oh, I have to go to bed? The Sabbath should be like that. I have to and I'm so glad I have to. In fact, I need that have to. Because work and the world and pressures, they all want to shrink that Sabbath down. And if it was left optional to me, it would probably get absorbed by everything else. And I wouldn't get the rest that I need. But God made the Sabbath for man with our good and mind. And it's for our good, he says. My people, keep the Sabbath. Well, that's where the Sabbath started. God instituted at creation and we we don't hear a whole lot about how the Sabbath was observed during the first part of the Old Testament, during the days of Noah, the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that has led some people mistakenly to think that the Sabbath really wasn't observed at that time. But, But that's a mistake. We can understand that just because the Bible doesn't tell us much about how the earliest saints observed the Sabbath, that doesn't mean they didn't. doesn't mean that they didn't. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. In fact, in Genesis 4 verse 26, we read that in the days of Seth, so you remember who Seth is, One of the children of Adam and Eve, Seth was given after Cain murdered Abel. In the days of Seth, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And that verse is typically interpreted as the beginning of public or family worship. In the early stages of the Old Testament, there weren't official church services like we have today. But worship was more confined to the broader family group. But there was worship. Men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And it is not unreasonable to assume that the day upon which the family would gather in a special way for worship would have been the Sabbath day. Adam and Eve would have taken their experience of the Sabbath and their understanding of God's institution of the Sabbath. And taught it to their children and it would have been a biblical practice carried on through the generations. But now it's later in the old testament particularly after the exodus that god's sabbath becomes formalized and by that word i mean it's given a more institutional structure it's formalized at sinai in the unfolding of god's covenant history god gave the sabbath Structure at Mount Sinai. Uh, There was a structured way of observing the Sabbath that the Old Testament church was called to practice. The keeping of the Sabbath was organized and given a form to follow after the Exodus. And this form was given in the fourth commandment which God inscribed upon the tablets of stone atop Mount Sinai but was also formalized and given structure in the many ceremonial laws that God gave to Moses and to the people of Israel to regulate their spiritual life and their worship in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God gave many more explicit rules for how the sabbath was to be observed many more specific rules than we have today in the new testament and here again we remember that important concept that in the old testament the the saints were believers just as we are but they were spiritual children not yet brought to the maturity that is brought about by the outpouring of the holy spirit and so as spiritual children The Old Testament church, in the years of her immaturity, needed those extra specific rules. And many of those rules, which are fulfilled with the coming of Christ, also become unnecessary in the New Testament. In the time of the church's spiritual adulthood. But nonetheless, the the principles in the Old Testament abide yet today. And those main principles are laid out in the fourth commandment. God commands his people to remember the Sabbath day. And that is to hold it in mind, to remember how God rested on the Sabbath day, how God blessed it, how God hallowed it. And because God rested, as we remember that, we are called to now set that day aside for God. That's the idea of keep it holy. God sanctified it. He set it apart as a day of rest. And now we are to sanctify it by obeying the will of God and intentionally, purposely setting it aside ourselves and on that day devoting ourselves to rest and to rejoicing in God and His finished work. We're to keep it holy. How do you do that? first and foremost by spending the day in worship and communion with God. And that's why in the fourth commandment what follows is God's command regarding work. 6 days shalt thou labor and that there's a positive command there. The fourth commandment commands labor There's the rhythm of work and rest. God does not permit laziness and idleness. That violates the fourth commandment too. God says on the six days of the week we are to faithfully labor in our callings that he's given us. But on the seventh day we are to set aside that work. It's to be a different day. Not because that day is in it of itself holy. But because God has designated that one day to be devoted to something else. We're to set aside our regular work. Not because work suddenly becomes evil on that day. But because God has set apart that day for something else. And our regular work would get in the way of the something else that God has set it apart for. Rest. Fellowship with God, spiritual refreshment, as well as physical refreshment. And so the principle behind not working on the Sabbath day is that we set aside our work so that we are freed up to rest. We set aside our normal work in order that we might be engaged in the activities of the Sabbath day. And it is those spiritual activities of the Sabbath day paired with a ceasing from our regular work. Those two things together which constitute Sabbath rest which is a refreshment both to the soul and to the body. That's what the fourth commandment is calling us to. And that's what all of the rules and the regulations in the Old Testament aimed at achieving Getting God's children to rest with him and rest in him on the Sabbath day. And in the most flourishing times of Israel's history, the Sabbath was observed with spiritual delight. And when the Sabbath was neglected, it contributed significantly to the overall spiritual decline of the Old Testament church. Just read the prophets how often they put their finger on a neglect of the Sabbath as a contributing cause to the chastening that Israel was experiencing. For example, Jeremiah 17, verse 21 through 23. Thus saith the Lord, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day. Neither do ye any work, but hallow ye the Sabbath day, as I commanded your fathers, but they obeyed not. Neither inclined their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And Jeremiah is saying, one of the sins for which the Babylonians are coming to chasten you, Judah, is your persistent neglect of the fourth commandment. Take it seriously. This is God's will for you. You glorify God by keeping his Sabbath. And one of the wonderful things about the way God's, God works is that he weds his glory to our greatest good. So that when we neglect to pursue the glory of God, we not only dishonor him, but we damage ourselves. And when we pursue the glory of God and live unto him and walk in the ways of his commandments, we do that which tends to our own nourishment and spiritual and physical upbuilding. God weds what glorifies him. To what blesses us. And that's so clear in the Sabbath. And so a few applications at this juncture. Number one. Old Testament history teaches us that there is a vital connection. Between keeping the Sabbath day. And maintaining spiritual health. Let's take that seriously. Just like it's an established law. Concerning bodily health. Diet and exercise tend to bodily health. So too, in the realm of spiritual life, and I dare say physical life as well. It's an established fact. Observing the Sabbath according to God's design builds my spiritual life And helps me flourish physically as well. Because God made the Sabbath for man. And God's Sabbath helps ensure that my whole person gets the rest that I need. Because unlike God, my energy is finite. My strength runs out. My emotional, spiritual, physical strength and energy is limited. And the Sabbath is one of God's chief ways of refilling and refueling his people for their callings and their lives in this world. The Sabbath is intended by God to be a channel of his blessing to us. It nourishes us the way a good meal and a good night's rest nourish us. We need it. So, for God's glory, which is always the first and primary motive, let us keep the Sabbath. Let us be diligent to set aside our regular work that we may rest. Let us be diligent in the things mentioned here in in, in the catechism, in, in frequenting the church of God. Not because it's this duty that we have to do and other people might talk about us if we don't. But because we glorify God and want to glorify God and we recognize that what glorifies God is also good for me. And there's the the subordinate motive. And it is a real motive and it may be a real motive. This is good for me. I need it. I need it. Second application. The Sabbath is for God's glory and for our good, as we've already said. And one of the important good purposes that God has with the Sabbath is that it might serve our sanctification. Remember, sanctification is the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts of making us more holy, conforming us to the image of God, getting rid of the pollution of sin, breaking the power of sin over me, and empowering me consciously and actively to live out the new life of Christ. The Sabbath is a God-designed means for the furtherance of the Christian's sanctification. The Sabbath is a channel of blessing to us by which God is pleased to exercise a sanctifying influence over the rest of the days of the week. We need the Sabbath and its rest to be able to be faithful, to be spiritually strong, As we go to work Monday through Friday, or Saturday too, even. The Sabbath is the springboard for a new week of renewed living unto Christ. And without that springboard, without the Sabbath to refuel us for a life of daily conversion... If we try to run on spiritual fumes too long, it's going to lead to a breakdown, even into ungodliness. The Sabbath is to have a sanctifying influence. It's a tool in the Holy Spirit's toolbox to help us live the life God calls us to live all the days of the week. There's a good reason. Keep the Sabbath. Third application. Because of the close connection established by the fourth commandment between the Sabbath day and the rest of the days of the week, we must be reminded that the Sabbath is kept or profaned not merely by what you do on the Sabbath day, but your conduct all of the other days of the week. A big part of Sabbath rest, as the catechism points out, is forsaking sin... And living the Sabbath life. You don't do that just on Sunday. But that's intended for all of life. The sanctifying influence of the Sabbath upon every day of life. The prim and proper Sunday Christian. Who shows up for every worship service. But lives a completely different way the rest of the days of the week. Is a hypocrite and is in fact one of the biggest desecrators of the Sabbath, his meticulous Sabbath observance on the outside notwithstanding. It's been said in the past by a wise Reformed theologian that the Sabbath is desecrated more on the six days of the week than on the Sabbath itself. And he speaks truly. We cannot keep the Sabbath day in sincerity of heart for the glory of God unless that influence of the Sabbath is carried with us the other days of the week. And so let us have a holistic view of the Sabbath day and of its rest. It's not just doing certain things and not doing other things on one day of the week, but it's setting aside one day of the week to rest in order that it may have a powerful influence on the rest of my day. One more thing now, to wrap up the second point. The Sabbath wasn't just formalized at Mount Sinai. The Sabbath was given a deeper and richer significance. And that's something we're going to observe as we continue tracing the history of the Sabbath. That what God does throughout covenant history is he adds new layers of meaning. He deepens and he enriches the Sabbath day. So that it comes to have richer significance than it even had at the beginning when God instituted it at creation. And we see that at Sinai, after the Exodus. And that especially comes out in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 5.15, which adds a very important line to the fourth commandment. Deuteronomy 5.15... And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. You see, what Deuteronomy 5 does by the inspiration of the Spirit is it adds another ground, another basis for the observance of the Sabbath day. In addition to creation, there is redemption. There is deliverance. With the fall into sin, God's people by faith looked ahead to a greater and a better rest. The rest that God would prepare them through the promised seed of the woman. Through the coming Christ. A rest from sin and from the curse and from death. And what we see here at Sinai is that redemption... Is added to the original ground of the Sabbath. Creation. God rested on the seventh day. But with the exodus. The bringing of God's people out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage. There is a deepening of their rest. The rest that is enjoyed through deliverance. From slavery. From oppression. From misery. And that significance is especially what is going to be picked up on. And deepened and enriched further in the New Testament. Because the exodus that Deuteronomy 5 verse 15 called the Old Testament church to look back on. Remember what God did for you and rest in his finished work of deliverance from Egypt. That was all a type. That was all a picture. That was all a shadow. Pointing ahead to Christ. The deliverer the leader of the exodus, and the rest that comes through his finished work on the cross, the rest of redemption accomplished in the finished work of Christ. And that's especially what the New Testament Sabbath focuses on. And so there is a deepening of the significance of the Sabbath, a deepening of our understanding of the rest of the Sabbath as God unfolds covenant history. We see that here already in the Old Testament when God says, remember, your deliverance. Enter into on the Sabbath day the enjoyment of that deliverance from bondage. But now, thirdly this morning, let's fast forward to the days of Jesus' life and ministry. Which are the last days of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was concluded with the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Christ's death and resurrection really is the central turning point of world history. It brings the Old Testament to its conclusion. And Jesus' ascension... Into heaven and his outpouring of the Holy Spirit initiates the New Testament age, which is the age in which Christ rules from his Father's right hand in heaven. It's the last days because it is the last age of history, which concludes with the second coming of Christ, which is the inauguration, the beginning of the age to come. So, the last days of the Old Testament, the days of Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus, through his life and ministry, restored and enriched the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, as Mark 2 says. And as the Lord of the Sabbath, he came not to abolish the Sabbath. That's a mistake that many have made throughout church history. That, well, Jesus in all of his disputes about the Sabbath, what he's really doing is trying to get rid of the Sabbath because the Sabbath itself is this Old Testament tradition that's going to go away in the New Testament, and that's not the case. Jesus didn't come to abolish the Sabbath, but he came to restore it and he came to enrich it through his saving work and ministry. It is a striking thing in the New Testament how many disputes Jesus engaged in over the Sabbath day with the churchmen of his day. And the frequency of these disputes indicates to us both the importance of the Sabbath as well as the perilous corruption of the Sabbath that existed in Jesus' day. But Jesus was not abolishing the Sabbath. He himself observed it. Luke 4 verse 16, for example, says, As his custom was, he went into the Sabbath or he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. When Jesus disputed over the Sabbath with the scribes and the Pharisees, the the dispute was never over whether there is a Sabbath. On that, all parties were agreed. The disputes centered on how to understand the Sabbath and the proper way of keeping it. In the closing days of the Old Testament, The Sabbath had been woefully corrupted and taken away from God's intent for it. And this corruption came not by ignoring the Sabbath. That was the danger before the Babylonian captivity. The people neglected the Sabbath. But after the people came back from captivity, they fell into the opposite error. The error of turning the Sabbath ...into a pile of man-made legalistic regulations to be outwardly observed. They focused a lot on the Sabbath, but in the wrong way. And that's what Jesus addressed. Jesus, in his preaching and in his ministry, dug up the Sabbath... ...that had become buried beneath man-made regulations which suffocated the Sabbath... ...and turned it into a wearisome burden for the Israelites... And which ultimately robbed it of its power to really be a day of rest. That's what Jesus was after in his disputes with the scribes and Pharisees. To restore the Sabbath day to God's intention that it might be a day of rest for God's people. So here's where Mark 2 and Mark 3 come in. We're going to briefly look at these two events that we read this morning. Starting with Mark two twenty-three through 28 Here we read about Jesus' dispute with the scribes over his disciples' gleaning grain on the Sabbath day. And at first this might seem like a petty dispute, but it was not. Jesus pursues this with them because the Sabbath itself is at stake here. On the Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples were traveling through a field outside of Jerusalem. Matthew 12 verse 1 tells us that the disciples were hungry. And so as they travel through this grain field, they picked grain and they ate the grains. And somehow the Pharisees saw this. They learned about it and they confront Jesus. How can you condone your disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now the Pharisees' concern was not that this was stealing from another person's field. Deuteronomy 23 verse 25 made an allowance. If you were traveling through a field, you could pick some grain to feed your hungry stomach. Their concern was, you are violating the fourth commandment of God's law because you're working. After all, God's law says you may not reap on the Sabbath day. You may not harvest, because harvesting is working. Well, plucking grain with your hands, that's a form of reaping. And so, by doing that, you've been working. And by working, you violated the Sabbath. So reason the Pharisees and the scribes. But in reality... Their objections stem from the fact that these men had become divorced from the heart of God's law. The Sabbath in their mind was not made for man and for man's good. But the Sabbath was an end in itself and man was made for it. It was a pile of rules that man must obey and never swerve from in the least. And over time... Piled on top of the regulations that scripture imposed, the good and proper ones, the scribes and Pharisees had invented all kinds of their own. And that's the problem. The Sabbath had become buried beneath their regulations. The heart was no longer in it. It was a laundry list of what you may not do. And if you can check all those boxes, you've kept the Sabbath in their minds. Well, Jesus puts them to silence by recalling an event from Bible history. He says, remember David? And none of the scribes or Pharisees would criticize David, the great king. Remember what he did when he was fleeing from Saul? How he and his men were starving and they went into the tabernacle and they took the consecrated showbread, which only the priests were allowed to eat, according to Leviticus 24. And David even shared this with his men. And that went against God's ceremonial law. And yet Jesus makes clear that in this circumstance, David did not do anything wrong. Jesus isn't teaching that God's law is situational. But what Jesus is teaching is that the heart of the law is what is most important. God cares more about the true condition of the heart than a meticulous adherence to the letter of the law. This is because the heart of the law of God is love for God and love for the neighbor. God is not a God in heaven who's sitting down and going to condemn David because he and his men were starving and had no other choice but to take some of that showbread. bread. Yes, under ordinary circumstances, no one else was to eat that consecrated bread. But that ceremony does not override the heart of the law. And that's Jesus' point. That's Jesus' point. How much more, then, are the disciples guiltless? For they did not set aside any divine commandment, but simply a human tradition. And they did so in their present necessity. And so Jesus drives home the point, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. This is the fundamental principle upon which Sabbath observance turns. The Sabbath is to be a blessing, to give man rest, refreshment, so that his heart rejoices in God. God did not institute the Sabbath to lay a crushing burden upon us. To chain us up with countless minute regulations. As the rabbis and the scribes and the Pharisees had done by all of their laws. The Sabbath is not a pile of rules which is an end in itself. The men of Jesus' day had turned the day of rest into a prison. Which robbed the Sabbath of its rest. And nullified its power. Jesus brings the real Sabbath back. And that comes out yet more in in Mark 3. In the story of Jesus healing that man with the withered hand. There was a man in the synagogue that Sabbath day. He was there worshipping. And the scribes and Pharisees by this time know that Jesus is the kind of person who cares for people like this. And might very well heal this man. And so they watch him with an evil eye to see if he's going to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus knew exactly what these men were up to. And so he calls the afflicted man forward and he turns to these experts of the law and he says, Tell me, teachers of Israel, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? In other words, what is the Sabbath for? What is God's purpose with it? Is it God's purpose that you meticulously adhere to this pile of rules that you've made for yourself, even to the destruction or the hurt of your neighbor? Or is the very purpose of the Sabbath to do good as God's gift to you for your good? And Jesus was met with silence. Here we see one of those instances in the Bible where Jesus is righteously angry. He looks around at these hard-hearted men and he's grieved. And so purposely, he heals that man to drive home the point. This is actually honoring the Sabbath day. God instituted the Sabbath for good and for doing good. And what better way to keep the Sabbath than to bring rest to this poor afflicted man? These scribes and these Pharisees thought that their heartlessness was in fact faithfulness to God's law and pleasing to him. And that's the incredible danger of a legalistic mentality. Their legalism shackled them in the chains of their own man-made rules. And they thought they were actually pleasing to God because they outwardly observed all of these things even while they neglected and failed to love their neighbor. And they thought they were being faithful to God. By being so heartless. And Jesus says that's not what the Sabbath is about. That's not what any of the law is about. So he heals this man. What pleases God is not a cold, loveless, external, heartless adherence to the letter of the law. But what pleases God is the heartfelt obedience to the fourth commandment. Love for God and love for the neighbor. And so we finish by taking that instruction to heart. Jesus here restored the Sabbath in his day and enriched it. And so for a concluding application, in our observance, in our keeping of the Sabbath, let us studiously avoid those two polar opposite errors which are equally dangerous. Let's avoid laxity on the one hand and avoid legalism on the other hand. Laxity reasons this way. The Sabbath is a day of rest, and so that means it's a day I can devote to whatever I find restful to me. But the Sabbath is not a day that God gives for everyone to do what's right in his own eyes. God himself says what rest is. God himself says, this is how you are to rest God says, set aside your regular schedule to rest with me. Diligently frequent the church of God. Give to the relief of the poor. Engage yourself in those spiritual exercises that nourish the soul. The day of rest, the Sabbath day, is not a day to devote to our own pleasure. And yet it is to be a day most pleasurable. We rest from our regular work because we need that rest. And it's a blessing to have to set it aside. But as we rest and as we devote ourselves to the spiritual exercises enjoined upon us, diligently frequenting the church of God, communing with God, that doesn't mean that we are to turn the Sabbath day into a pile of rules and suck the life out of it. It doesn't mean you may not have any kind of enjoyment or physical rest on the Sabbath day. Of course not. That's the direction the Pharisees ended up going. So for example, it's not wrong to take a walk on the Sabbath day, spend time with family, eat a good meal, even take that Sunday nap. If it refreshes your body and helps you concentrate in the evening service. Those are legitimate things. The Sabbath is made for man. For both our spiritual rest and our physical rest. What's important is that we keep the focus where it ought to be. Upon God and resting in him. That helps us avoid laxity. But avoiding legalism, the solution is the same. Focus on the principles of God's word. Sabbath observance isn't adhering to a bunch of rules that go beyond scripture. When we pile up the rules so much, it can end up squelching the Sabbath and turning it into a chore. And that's self-defeating. We don't want to do that. So an important point here. Every household is going to have its own rules for how best to observe the Sabbath. And that's good. That's okay. And it's also fine that different Christian households have different rules for their families. And we shouldn't look at each other judgmentally. Oh, they let, they let their kids do this on the Sabbath. I would never let. Let each family use Christian discernment. Keep the focus on the heart of the day. And those differences that exist are fine. They're fine. We don't all have to have exactly the same rules. What's important is that the objective of the Sabbath is obtained. That we truly rest spiritually and physically. And that God is worshipped. And that we spend time in communion with him. And that we set aside the whole day for that rest. So let us ground our Sabbath observance in the scriptures, and avoid laxity on one side and legalism on the other side. And when we do, what a wonderful day it is, a day made for us, a blessing, a most delightful privilege. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the gift of the Sabbath day. Bless the instruction of thy word to us and help it equip us to observe the Sabbath day rightly, to give ourselves to rest, to set aside the regular work of the week, to devote ourselves to the spiritual exercises of attending thy house, of hearing thy word, of giving to the poor, of singing the psalms and the praises of thee, our God. Make it also a day in which our bodies are refreshed. Refreshment in our whole person to equip us for the week that is ahead. Hear us in mercy for Jesus' sake. Amen.